to be with our team in Transformation Station. Very thankful for our kids workers today and Redemption Kids. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 10 today. So if you're using uh, one of the Bibles uh, like this one that we provide for you, it's page uh, 896 uh, in those Bibles that we provide for you there uh, as you walk in. Well, uh, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. And uh, if you're new with us, super grateful that you're able to join us today. I uh, hope uh, you not only experience some, some uh, you know, good hospitality and warm welcome, uh, but most importantly, we pray that you experience God today. Uh, much better to experience God than to experience us, uh, but we hope that the experience of us is not too bad as well, right? So, uh, so really thankful that you're here, um, and I hope that, you know, God really speaks to each one of you today, right where you are. Well, um, after my first year of seminary, that's grad school for pastors, uh, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip to the country of Ecuador. Now, I was really excited about this trip, all right? Not only was it my first time to South America, uh, but I was going to be able to go on this trip with one of my very best friends in life, Jay Green, all right? His name's Josh Green. He's known as Jay Green, all right? Thanks to me. And, um, and we were going to a country where one of my heroes from church history served as a missionary about 50 years earlier. Perhaps you've heard of this man's name, Jim Elliott. Uh, he served there as a young man. He was uh, actually 29 years old when he was attempting to share the gospel uh, with some, some uh, tribes back in the jungles, and they didn't know, I don't think they understood exactly what he was up to. They thought he was a threat, and he actually was, was martyred there in the jungles of Ecuador. And uh, one of his most famous uh, statements in his writings was, was this, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott's life is a, is a picture of that. He lost his life, but he gained Christ and certainly gained eternal life because of his relationship with Christ. So, so I was really excited to go to Ecuador to serve uh, with some friends and to see what God, you know, had for us while we were there and hopefully it would be a blessing to other people. Well, uh, when we got there, uh, not only did we have a great time serving in the city of Guayaquil, which is the largest city in Ecuador on the coast there of the Pacific Ocean, uh, but we also got to take in a little bit of the culture. All right, so I know if, if you're like me, whenever you go to a, a new place, it's just, it's so awesome to learn of the different kind of customs and, and, and kind of cultural habits that people have. And uh, two of the best ways I know to do that is by uh, going to eat local food, right, and by checking out some of the local art. So um, when I went to, to Ecuador, I thought, you know, it'd be great to bring back a memento uh, from that trip, just as a reminder of the people there and of our time there. And uh, since you can't, I don't know if you've ever tried this, since you really can't bring back food, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, put that on your shelf, you know, like some steak and eggs and rice, you know, some chorizo with some mm-mm sauce uh, to go on the side. Um, you've never had that mm-mm sauce? really good. Um, since, since you can't bring back food from your travels, uh, typically to kind of remind you of the trip, uh, that only lasts so long at least, um, then art is a, is a good next best option, right? So we were in a, a market, and I found uh, some, some hand-carved uh, statues, and I picked up this pastor, which is Spanish for 
shepherd, as you can see. And so I was drawn to this naturally because I was preparing to serve God as a pastor, right? But even more importantly than that, uh, this, this, uh, this, this statue here, this little small statue, is a reminder, not, not so much of what God's called me to do, but a reminder of who God is. You see, what we're going to see in John chapter 10 today is that Jesus describes himself in this rich metaphor, right? Not, not one-dimensional, multi-dimensional, and that is the metaphor of being a good shepherd. So I'm going to put him right there as a reminder for us today, and I want us to be invited into this passage. And, and the invitation that we're going to see is that uh, we can be led by Jesus as uh, the good shepherd who gives his life for our abundant life. See, God, God wants us to experience abundant life through Jesus, the good shepherd. And the way that he does that is by offering the life of his son, Jesus Christ. So as we pick up in John 10, uh, we need to understand that, that this is just continuing right where we were last week in John chapter 9. In John 9, we saw Jesus heal a blind man, and not only did he give him physical sight, but he also gave him spiritual sight. And as he did that, he was also exposing the spiritual blindness of the spiritual and religious leaders of that day known as the Pharisees. And so as Jesus starts to, to, to speak in John chapter 10, we actually have a commentary on the horrendous uh, spiritual care that the people were receiving in that day from the, from the Pharisees. And, and that is what then launches him into this uh, discussion, this discourse on how he is not um, a, a, a bad leader or, or a bad shepherd, but he is actually a good shepherd for his people who choose to follow him. And so I want to read all 21 of these verses for us as we dive into John chapter 10, and then we'll break them down with two encouragements for us to take away today, all right? Uh, so John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. And he sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would speak to us as a good shepherd does this morning. And God, we pray that as we, as we hear from your word, God, that we would have ears to listen and that we would know your voice today, that we might respond and follow you as you lead us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. This, this passage teaches us what it means to know Jesus as our good shepherd. And so what I want to do today is my goal, right? We, we try to be as practical as possible uh, when you come to Redemption Hill. Like the beautiful thing about the Bible is we don't have to make the Bible relevant to 2016, all right? It says like it's already, because it's eternal and it's timeless, it's already relevant, all right? So, so like my job and, and, the, and, and the other pastors, when we, when we speak about God, we're just exposing the relevance that's already there, okay? That's, that's what we're doing. Um, so, so they're going to be Practical pieces that we can kind of take away and apply to our life today, absolutely. But primarily, my uh, task today is to hold up who Jesus is. And we, as we just look to him, hopefully the goal is that we know him more. And then I'm just convinced that people who truly know him more will grow to love him more and then want to live for him more. All right, So that's the trajectory of where we're going. And I hope that you see Jesus as John is seeking to portray him here today. All right, So the first encouragement is, is simply this. If you know the voice of Christ, follow Jesus as your good shepherd. If you hear his voice, follow him as your good shepherd, right? The, the question then becomes like, why would you want to follow Jesus? Like, like, why would you want to take like the precious time and the precious commitments in your life and saying, you know what? My life really doesn't even really belong to me, all right? My, my life really and truly belongs to God. And then everything else in my life is going to be defined by my following him. And it's going to be enhanced by my knowing him and following him, right? My, my, my work, my family, my, my friendships. And so the reason that anyone will want to follow anyone, I think, is because of who they are and because of 
what they have to offer someone. All right? So, so because of who Jesus is, Jesus is, is pristine in his character. He's perfect in his character. And then that is going to come out in how he does what he does. How he leads how he, he leads. And so I want to hold up just a few characteristics of, of Jesus as we seek to behold this good shepherd, all right? Um, number one, Jesus knows you intimately. We see this again and again throughout this, this uh, chapter. He's saying, the sheep hear my voice. They, they call, uh, when I call out, they listen to me. I, I am the one that, that knows them. We see this, this word coming up again and again. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I call them by name. They listen to my voice. See, isn't there something soothing about a familiar voice? I spoke to my grandmother this, this week. Her name's Nancy. She's 83 years old. I have to tell you, every time I, I talk to her, just to hear her voice, it's just like this soothing effect that, that comes over me. Because it's a familiar voice. It's a voice of, of care and, and, and nurturing. Um, I, I, I can trust what she has to tell me no matter what it is. And why is that? Well, it's because not only has she known me for 35 years, but, but she has cared for me for 35 years. She's, she's always wanted my best for, for that long, so I know I can trust her. Just the familiarity of her voice is a, is a comfort and an encouragement. And Jesus says, look, those who follow me, they know my voice. They listen for my voice. They follow what I have to say because they, they trust me. And then Jesus says, for, for those who follow me, I know them by name. And so, so as we get this picture in, in John chapter 10, the, the, the relational kind of layers and depth of intimacy just continue to get deeper and deeper, right? So there's this voice that's speaking, and then the sheep are listening, and they're, they're following Jesus. He's saying, I know them by name. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to kind of be familiar with someone, right? And, and then we get to know their name, and then hopefully, as, as we know their name, then, then an acquaintance moves to maybe a friendship. It's actually one of the reasons why we provide name tags at Redemption Hill, right? Every Sunday at the welcome you know, uh, uh, table is, is so that we can see one another's name so we can kind of get past that awkwardness when you forget someone's name. Anyone ever do that? Yeah, no, some of you, some of you were cheating already today. You were like trying to remember somebody's name. You're kind of like, ooh, I can't read their handwriting. That stinks. Um, but But... But we need that help. But why do, we, why do we even have name tags? Why do we even value that? It's because we value relationships, right? We, we want to know others and be known by others because this is how God has created us. God has made us for relationship. Not only relationship with himself, but relationship with one another. And Jesus is saying, look, my sheep, I made them for a relationship, a relationship with me. And then it's, it's almost amazing what he says in verse, verses 14 and 15. Look, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Look, look at this. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Like, are you, like Jesus, are you serious? The, the triune God who has eternally existed in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and eternally existed in this loving, intimate relationship. Like the Father knows absolutely everything about the Son, and the Son knows ev absolutely everything about the Father, and the Spirit also. 
this one God eternally existing in three persons. And Jesus says that, that, that the relationship that I enjoy with, with my people is, is like the relationship that God enjoys within himself. I mean, that is a radical statement. That, that's not just like, hey, we're kind of friends. Like, Jesus, I, I know your name. Like, no, this is like I know everything about you. I want to know everything about you. I want to, to walk with you. Like, you know, Marsha and I got to go on vacation a, a few weeks ago, if you remember. And, and the, most, the most awesome thing about that trip, right, was not the warmer weather and the sunshine and, and all that. All right, the most awesome thing about my trip, what I've shared with everybody, is I got to spend four days being inseparable from my wife. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I know. I like, oh, you know, like, hey, like Pastor Tanner gets brownie points up here. All right. But, um, <laughs> You know, like, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't, like, four days inseparable, that doesn't happen because of work and because of kids and because of, you know, screaming babies. And, and that was the best, right? This is how God wants to relate to us. It's amazing the depth of intimacy that, that he uh, invites us into. And, and, and just don't miss what Jesus says in, in verse 7 and then verse 9. He says, I am the door. In other words, Jesus says, like, if you want to enter into a relationship with God, that I am your entry point. I am the one that can lead you in. I am the doorway, the entry point that you can then go and enjoy a relationship with God. If you, if you want to be known by, by God, Jesus is, is your good shepherd. But if you want to know God in an intimate way, then Jesus is your door. He is your way to know God and to, to live for God and, and to have this relationship with God restored. So, so number one, Jesus knows us intimately. Uh, number two, Jesus will lead us faithfully. We see this uh, in, in verse three. Um, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. You see, this is the essence of Christianity. A lot of people are like kind of scared of maybe the church and like kind of quote unquote, we hear all the time, right? Organized religion, institutional Christianity, all right? Like, listen, Christianity is about a person. Christianity is about one name, one person, Jesus. And so you can, you can like, you know, Whittle, like, now obviously Jesus loves his church, and this is what this whole passage is about, right? So we can't throw away the church. The church is just a group of people who are the sheep following Jesus, right? So, so we're going to love what Jesus loves, which is why I love being a pastor. But most importantly, most fundamentally, what Christianity is all about is about knowing who Jesus is and, and falling in love with who he is and then following him. So Jesus is the one that, that blazes the trail, and then those who follow him follow behind, and, and he leads them to where he wants us to go. Jesus is the one who ascends the mountain, and we follow behind him as he charts the course. Christianity is about simply following in the footsteps of Christ. Jesus leads us faithfully, and then I love verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses, I think, in the Gospel of John. Jesus provides for us generously. Look back at verse 10. What does it say? Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and ha have it abundant 
we. So Jesus is saying, look, there there are those who rise up and they're saying, look, this is the way. You can follow my teaching, my ways, my wisdom, but, but those paths are not ultimately leading to this eternal and true and ultimate satisfaction. These other paths are not leading to a right relationship with God that we were made for. But Jesus says, look, I, I can offer you that. The reason that Jesus came, why, why, did, why did the eternal Son of God leave the comforts of heaven and come to earth to live a perfect life and to die a cruel death? He came to give us life. And he came to give us life, not only eternally, but abundantly right now. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, what then is the abundant life? When we hear abundance, I think we hear a surplus. And when we think about surplus, we probably think about stuff. You know, like material possessions, um, how much kind of cushion we have to pay the bills and in the bank account and how much material kind of possessions and wealth that we can accumulate. Or maybe we think about an abundance of, of comfort, uh, you know, the, just the, the absence of, of that which disrupts our, our lives, and, and, and that's what we're pursuing. But have you ever thought about this? This is, this is I don't think this is the abundance that Jesus is, is speaking of here. I mean, it may include that. I mean, he takes care of our needs, right? And he wants us to help one another if we, when we are in need, right? Sometimes that's how he takes care of our needs. But have you ever thought about that, that all of our longing, like who of us would say, you know what, man, I never want anything nicer? Any, anybody like, I never want a nicer meal. I'll just take that PB&J, you know, from, from nine to five, you know, seven days a week. I'm cool with that. No. I mean, I like PB&J. Don't get me wrong. But like, we want a nicer meal sometimes. Right? We, want, we want nicer homes. We want nicer jobs. We want nicer cars. We, want, we even want like nicer Bibles and nicer pins. All right? I found some nice pins, by the way. All right? On Amazon.com. All right? I got 10 for 10 bucks. All right? I'll give you the tip after the service. All right? But um, we we're always, we're always want something nicer. Could it be that our longing for more, our longing for something nicer is actually pointing us to this insatiable desire and longing for the only one who can truly satisfy us and that one is God himself. Augustine in his confessions, this this 4th, 5th century theologian in the church, he, he wrote this spiritual autobiography called The Confessions. And this is what he says in, in, uh, in chapter 3 of, of that work. He says, luxury, listen, there's this longing for luxury. Luxury wants to be called abundance and satiety, but you are fullness and the inexhaustible treasure of incorruptible pleasure. We always want more. We want something more luxurious. We want, to be, we want our stomachs to be filled and Augustine says, now it's like all of this is just pointing to what we were made for in you. Inexhaustible, incorruptible pleasure. Jesus came to bring us abundance, to bring us fullness. And this abundant life is the Christ life. It's knowing him. It's living for him. 
I'm just telling you, like, what I love, like, I know, like, people, like, do, like, is there a God, like, Jesus, okay, yeah, nobody can deny that he lived and that he, you know, died, now somebody contend with the resurrection, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, there are plenty of evidence for it, um, but, but, but what I like to do is just, like, you know, kind of in your experience, just put this stuff to the test, just put Jesus to the test, like, if you were to follow Jesus, I'm telling you, not only will your life change, like, internally, and your experiences is joy, and this peace, and this love that you've never known, but, but I, I would just say, like, put Christ to the test. If you start living like Jesus, man, you're going to, like, people around you are going to um, actually enjoy being around you more because you have this abundance that you never had before. Because this is the good, what the good shepherd brings to us. He, he knows us intimately. He leads us faithfully. He provides for us generously. And then I, I like this as well. He protects us completely. Look back at 12 and 13. Um, he who is a hired hand not a shepherd. It's, this is the one that, that does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the, the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. You see, a, a temporary worker that is out taking care of the sheep, I mean, they are actually, uh, if they see danger coming because of what? They care more about their own safety and well-being. They're going to leave the sheep and not protect and defend the sheep. But not Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus stands his ground. Jesus doesn't run. Jesus says, if you want to get to them, you have to come through me. In the words of the psalm, Jesus goes before us and he's behind us. He's on our right, he's on our left, he's up on our diagonal, you know what I'm saying? Like he is is surrounding his people. He's protecting us. Some of you are familiar with the prayer of St. Patrick, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ beneath me, Christ on my side, my right, my left. I can't even remember the prayer. It's so awesome. You should look it up and Google it because like, it's just saying Christ is everything to us. He's our protector. He's our provider. He's our leader. He's the one who knows us. And he is our good shepherd. So I think it would be a mistake to not just kind of pause here as we think about Jesus being the good shepherd. We, we, are, we are a church after all. I think we should think a moment about shepherds in the church known as pastors. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about myself a little bit and Pastor John and Pastor John. And we want to we continue to add pastors of, of Redemption Hill as we, as we grow. Not only those that are paid on staff like the three of us, but those who are not paid that are serving uh, in a non-paid role, we want to, to add pastors in our church. And you say, well, what are you, what are you looking for when you add a pastor? Who do you pray that you are as you serve? Well, we just, we, we want to shepherd like Jesus shepherds, right? So we want to know, we want to know the people that God has brought to Redemption Hill, like we, we really do, right? It's not just like we don't just want to know your name, all right? We, we want to know what's up with you. We want to know how we can, we can encourage you. We want to know how we can pray for you. And, and, and oh, by the way, like this knowing is a two-way street, right? It's like even when Jordan, my, my two-year-old, like when she sees a, a little dog, this is a cheesy illustration, all right? So I'm sorry, just bear with me, all right? When, when she sees like a dog in a book, she knows like, oof, oof, you know, you know what I'm saying? 
That's how, that's how dogs communicate. And then, like, she's going to learn very soon, like, sheep. I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, somebody else did it, right? Bah! You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, if they're, if, they're, if they're in need, they, they, they speak up. If they're endangered, they speak up. And so just a very simple encouragement. Like, if, if stuff's going on in your life, like, please speak up. Like, we're just people, man. We can't, we can't read people's minds, all right? We're, we try to be as good as we can be, but we're like, it's a two-way street. Like, we should be checking in. Like, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, how can I pray for you? We try to do this. Those of you who've been around Ramshaw, I think hopefully you know that. You would agree with that. But we also need you to say, hey, here's what's going on. Like, help me think through this. Help me, help me consider what's going on in my family, in my workplace. How, how, give me some, some truth that I can hold on to during this difficult time. And I have to do this as well. I'm not, I'm not only a pastor, I'm one of the members, right? So, so I, I, I submit to the leadership of John and John. And when I have things going on, I go to them, as well as many of you, because we're a family. So you can pray for us that we would lead and we would pastor and we would shepherd like Jesus does, but, but just please do us a favor. Right? Give us grace because we're not him. You know, like he's perfect. We're not perfect. We can't be everywhere. We can't know everything. We can't meet every need, even though it's our heart to do so. But that's what we want to do, and that's why we try to expand our, our leadership team, not only through adding pastors, but through our groups and our group leaders, men's and women's leaders, right? I mean, we're, we're extending out the care of, of the people of Redemption Hill so that we can hopefully lead well like Jesus leads us well. So, so the first encouragement today, if you, if you hear his voice, follow Jesus as your good shepherd. But then, but then number two, and I love this, all right, this is where we just kind of like, okay, here's why we should follow Jesus, but then like, this is like part two of like why we can really trust that he is worth following, all right? So if you follow Jesus, you can be assured of his love. You can be assured of his love. Now, here's, here's how, right? The greatest quality of the good shepherd is this. We see him say it four different times in less than about seven or eight verses, all right? In verse 11, in verse 15, in verse 17, in verse 18, he says that I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd what? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in other words, Jesus loves his people so much that he is willing to give his life away for the sake of their life. Jesus is willing to die so that we don't have to taste death. This is what Good Friday is all about. This is why, this is why the, when the day Jesus was crucified, the most the most unjust day that the world has ever known this is why we could still call it good this is what good friday is all about this is what easter is all about as we celebrate in a couple of weeks and so i want us to look at the links of his love together the love of christ there's this parable in the gospel of luke that jesus tells about how he is a loving shepherd and, and it starts off in, in Luke chapter 15. Listen to this. You have to get the context if you really want to know what's going on in this parable, all right? He says, uh, it says that, uh, this, now the tax collectors and sinners, all right, 
these, these bad people, all right, they were hanging out with Jesus. Says they were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives and eats with them. All right, so here we are again, like the religious leaders, the people that were supposed to be leading the people, the spiritual leaders of the people, the, the pastors of that day. They were saying, you know what, man, Jesus, he, he, he's got it wrong because he's hanging out with all these bad people, prostitutes and tax collectors and quote unquote sinners, right? Like, and I guess they didn't have a mirror or something, you know, like, I don't know what their problem was. But um, and so can we just pause and say, like, anyone who claims to follow Christ cannot live with a we're better than you mentality. Anyone who follows Christ can't say, oh, oh, we are more deserving of God's love than they are. You shouldn't love those kind of people. You shouldn't befriend those kind of people. I mean, there's nothing more contrary to Christianity than the kind of, the kind of mentality that would say we, we can pick and choose like who belongs in the, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, like he did not like this kind of mentality at all. And so just go back and read Luke 15 this week because not only does he tell one parable about a lost sheep, he tells another parable about a lost coin and then he tells this elaborate parable about the prodigal son or the lost son or the loving father, the prodigal God, if you will. I think it was the Easter summer from 2012 or 13 if you want a, a little deeper look, all right, this week. Um, and so so what, does he, what does he say? What is he going to say? Uh, verse three, so he told him this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, right? This was an agrarian culture outside of Jerusalem, they would have understood this, this picture, all right? Um, which one of you, if you have a hundred sheep, if you've lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I hope the weight of these words are like falling on your mind and heart here this morning. The love of Christ is a radical love. Did you, did you hear how the story goes, right? Like, so, so there is one sheep who is lost, and I hope you're like, that, 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 that's me. That's me now. That was me. I was lost. I had, I had like, no, like no Google Maps, no GPS, no, no way to find my way home. I'm just wondering. By the way, sheep are not very smart animals. I'm just saying. It's a fact. Let that encourage you today. We're lost. We can't find our way back home. And so what we have to have happen is this. We have to have the shepherd come and find us. This is the gospel of grace. God comes looking for us when we were not looking for him. God comes and offers us salvation when we were, in fact, rejecting his love. And not only does God come and find us, but do you, do you see the picture? 
Do you, do you see what, what happens? God, the good shepherd, he, he puts us on his shoulders. We can't, we can't get back apart from him carrying us. We're dependent on his strength, his power. He puts us on his shoulders. And then, and then you know, this is the only problem with this statue, all right? Like, you can check it out after the service. Like, this, this, this shepherd is not as happy as I want him to be, all right? So I need to, like, I need to find an artist or like, somebody can just kind of tweak this for me. All right, because, because God, Jesus, the good shepherd, he is elated. He is rejoicing that he has found the one, and now he's back to 100 and not 99 because he cares so much. He loves that one so much. And not only is he rejoicing, but when he gets back, what does he do? He pulls other people into his rejoicing. This is a picture of God's love for Every single, like, don't think so much like generally and abstractly, but think personally and individually. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's pursued you. He's found you. He's put you on his shoulders, and he's really, really happy about it. This is a picture of heaven. Why does Jesus, why, like, why can Jesus say um, that, that there is more, re, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents? I mean, like he'll say that the angels are rejoicing. They're turning, you know, cartwheels or whatever, like if you, if you like that stuff. And, and, and like, why are they doing that? Because that's how God is responding when one sheep is found. The love of God is is absolutely radical. I mean, he knows us. Like, God knows us fully, right? He knows all of our flaws. He knows all of our weaknesses. He knows all of how we have rejected him time and time and time again, not to mention how we've treated others. But as Tim Keller says in his book on marriage, this is, this is a, an awesome statement. He says, to be loved and, and, but not known is comforting, but it's superficial, To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what it means to be loved by God. God knows us completely and he loves us in spite of us and he pursues us in spite of us and he comes and puts us on his shoulders when we did not deserve it and he is really happy about it when he brings us back to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with him. That's the love of Christ, and the love of Christ flows from the compassion of Christ. Jesus' care for his sheep is built on his compassion. And we can go to Matthew 9, and we can see uh, where it says in, in verses 35 and 6, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And then it says this, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them. Why, Jesus? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So think about this. And I really need to like pull my heart. Like I need God to like pull my heart into this, these verses. 
Because there are so many days, like forgive me for this, right? But, but there are so many days, like even as a pastor, even as one who should be setting an example, I think in, in the area of care and compassion, man, I don't have the compassion of Christ. And I think what this verse is telling me is I don't have the compassion of, of Jesus because I don't see like Jesus sees. It says he saw how they were harassed and helpless and he was moved to compassion. And so perhaps a huge part of, of my deal is just slowing down enough to see what's going on around me. Slowing down enough to actually see that there are people in need all around me. A woman died yesterday morning in a house fire in the South End. A Milton High senior was fatally struck by an SUV this past Wednesday. Another homeless person died from a bacterial infection last week, second one in the past month. Okay. All right. Do I really love my neighbor? Am I really, like, am I so into my, my agenda that I can't just pause and get to know someone a little better? We can't be everywhere. We can't know every need. We can't, so, so don't, like, I hope that encourages you. I hope that convicts you in, like, a healthy way. I don't live in Milton. I, I, I probably, I hope there are believers, like, maybe, you know, but, but like, Paul says in Galatians 6, like, as you have opportunity, let us do good. But we have to see the opportunities. Luke 19, Jesus is coming into the city. This is so good. I never, I never seen this until a couple of months ago. As we were thinking about the upside-down city of Boston, right? Like, we want to see God turn the city upside down so because people are so transformed by Jesus, like, everything is different around here, right? Neighborhoods and cities and workplaces, it's all changing because Jesus is infusing people's lives and making them different and making their, their, their surroundings and their environment different because they're becoming people of influence in a Christ-like kind of way. And so I was just thinking, like, where does it say in the Bible that, that Jesus is interacting with cities? Like, he's in Jerusalem a lot, but, but what about Luke chapter 19 when he is coming into the city of Jerusalem? What does it say? It says, and when he draw near and what? Saw. Saw the city. He wept over it. And usually I just stop right there. And, and that's like, that's so challenging to me that I, I kind of forget to keep reading, like, what he had to say next. It says that, that the words that came from Jesus' lips were these. Uh, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for what? Peace. And we talked about this last week. 
the concept of peace in the Bible is this Hebrew idea of shalom. Shalom is not simply the absence of conflict, but it is universal flourishing. It is abundance to the max. It is a rich state of affairs. It is the way things ought to be. Like everyone at Redemption, I'm going to keep talking about it, like every Sunday if I have to, until everyone knows the definition of shalom, which is the way things ought to be. You got it? What is shalom? The way things ought to be. All right, so now listen. Jesus knew better than anyone the way things ought to be. Why? Because he is the inventor of shalom. He made shalom. He defines shalom. He left shalom to enter into our brokenness. He, he is our shalom. And so Jesus knew the way things ought to be in a way like no one else. And Jesus knew, because he knew how, how holy God intended everything to be, um, he also knew our depravity and brokenness like no one else. There's this prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53 that always puzzled me as a kid that says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Like, what's that? Like, Jesus, like, doesn't he have joy? Like, why would he be described as a man of sorrows? Why would sorrow characterize his life? It's because Jesus saw brokenness in a way that we don't see brokenness. And so what moves the heart of Christ to compassion and moves him to tears is he sees the gap between the way things ought to be and the way things are, and it absolutely crushes him, and he weeps over it. And so I have to pray, like, God, help me to see things as you see them, the way things ought to be. Like, help me to have a vision of shalom and help me to see the way things are and let that bother me to the point of not crushing me in guilt or depressing me, uh, but, but actually moving me to make these kind of kingdom imprints that shows people, hey, there is something good that has already arrived in Jesus and there is something even better that is yet to come. And by attaching ourselves to the good shepherd, now we can have our lives transformed so that we can now live for him. The love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, and then, and then finally the inclusion of Christ. This is too good to pass up before we wrap this sermon up. Uh, look back at verse 16. Jesus says this, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus invites all people to his table. Jesus invites all all people into his sheepfold. And so, so he's saying, he's referring to the people of, of Israel, okay, Jews, and he's saying, look, like, we're, you're going to see other people brought in known as the Gentiles, non, non-Jewish people. And that's really good news because, because if you're like me, then that includes you. Jesus brings us in and then he says, you know what, like you're in, now you invite someone else in. And, and yes, like we all have like affinity with, with certain kinds of people, maybe people in the same life stage, maybe people the same age, maybe, maybe people the same interest. Like I get that, right? I can hang out and talk about the socks and the seas all days with certain guys. You start talking about, you know, this and that. And I'm like, what? what? But, but, but what about this? Like, we have, all these, we have all these invitations, right? Like, it's Easter season, and we've got Faneuil Hall, and 
We've got the, the Easter extravaganza, you know, Medford extravaganza, and we've got Easter Sunday, and I mean, we're going to invite hundreds, if not thousands of people. There were, there were over 340 people that came to our Easter service this year. And I'm saying, like, why not more than that this year? Why not? Because each, each number represents a person that Jesus cares about, that Jesus loves. But as we extend these invitations, here's a challenge. Why not invite someone who is unlike us? Why not, why not get to know someone like the, the, the person maybe in your workplace or the person that you, you pass by on the street each week and, and you, you feel like you have nothing in common with them, but, 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 but they are the other, like, like we were once the other. Jesus has great love. He has great compassion. He has great inclusion. The invitation goes out to everyone. And so now it's our privilege to follow him in his work of leading his people known as the church. Jesus is either insane or he's God. There's really not a lot of room for anything in between. And so for you today, if, if you're here, and you're exploring what it means to follow Christ, you might say, like, Tanner, I, I, I feel like this is more far-fetched than you do, and I'm just, I would lean more toward the insanity piece. Like, a, a man claiming that he's God, a man dying for all of my wrong, a man actually rising from the dead by his own authority? That seems crazy to me. Well, if, if it seems crazy to you, I hope that you'll be back next week to, to maybe hear more. And, and, and I hope that maybe you're going to say, like, can we just talk about that? Like, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I might even buy you lunch if we've got it in the budget, you know. And, and we'll just, we can just talk. Non-threatening, no guilt, no pressure. Just talk about these matters. But, but I think, I hope, some of you are here today and you're like, this, this sounds so, so good that, that it must be true. And maybe you're like a, a sheep that's hearing his voice for the first time. I need a good shepherd. I need someone to lead my life. I want someone to know me like that. I want someone to pr- provide for me like that, a life that I've never experienced before. Like, I, I want in on that. I want in on that kind of shalom. I want brokenness and compassion for people. I want to think a little less about myself and a, a little more about others, like Jesus invites us into all of this. And so maybe you would just take that connect card that you received when you walked in or, or go on rhc.church forward slash cc and just let us know, like, uh, I want to explore more about following Jesus or I, I'm ready, like, I'm ready to, to take that step and to follow him like many others of us have here today. And so what I want to do is just pause and pray and ask God to, to speak to you wherever you are. As you're maybe hearing his voice for the first time, or maybe you're hearing his voice as a familiar voice, and you want to continue following him faithfully with your life, God, I pray that you would work here today in this place. God, we ask that you would move our hearts to see you for who you are, as a good shepherd who knows us intimately, who loves us with this zealous kind of love, who provides for us, who protects us 
who leads us where we need to go, where we belong. God, thank you for being such a good, good father. Thank you for sending Jesus, our good, good shepherd. And Lord, it's our prayer that as you change us, that you would use us to change, bring your change to those around us. So Father, would you do your work? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.